Welcome to Antitrust Code by Concurrences. Concurrences is the leading antitrust database with over 30,000 articles on competition law. Concurrences is also the largest network of antitrust experts with lawyers, economists, enforcers, and academics in 85 countries. By listening to this podcast, you will learn the fundamentals of competition law and hear about the latest antitrust news thanks to our guests, the best experts in the antitrust world. I have um, two daughters in the Bay Area, 24 and 26, and they were asking me about why I was here in this conference. And I was telling them about the show of female enforcers, global female enforcers. So they said that um, you are not a CEO, you're a she-eo. <laughs> and that you are a shero. So, <laughs> so welcome to our she-eo, shero. We're so glad you're here. So, so for those of you who don't know, Sarah Cadell um, has had an amazing career. I had a chance to sort of look it up, and I'll just go quickly, because we don't have a lot of time, and we have a lot we want to cover about the CMA. But I understand you started your career at Slaughter and May, and then went to Opgen, then became the general counsel of the CMA in 2013, and then appointed as the CEO in 2020. So, wow. <laughs> Definitely a shero. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so we have an audience, mostly Americans, I think, here, other than the Clipper Chance people, <laughs> maybe, uh, but uh, mostly Americans here. And I think the CMA is a little bit of a mystery um, sometimes. And so can you talk to us a little bit about the CMA, the work you do, and how you go about it? Let's start there. Sure. I mean, just to, to take it maybe briefly, um, as you say, people may have more or less familiarity with our work. So the CMA, Competition and Markets Authority in the UK, is the UK's principal competition and consumer protection agency. So we have a range of competition powers, as you'd expect, merger control, antitrust enforcement, also enforcing for breaches of consumer protection law. That's part of our remit, an important part of our remit. Um, we can carry out quite wide-ranging reviews of markets as well. Um, and obviously, since the UK's exit from the European Union, I guess the international profile of the CMA's work has increased quite significantly. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and that, that, you know, quite frankly, just reflects the fact that historically, um, you know, the UK element of, of big global transactions in particular for merger control, but also antitrust conduct would have been considered by the European Union. But obviously, post-Brexit, it falls to the CMA to carry out those assessments. We have that responsibility for the UK, and that's, that's a responsibility that we take very seriously. It means, I think, that um, for UK businesses, for US businesses, rather, and, and US advisors, um, the work that the CMA is doing is really important. It also means that our engagement out here is really important, too. So actually, one of the things that I've been doing through the course of this week is taking the opportunity to engage with a whole range of different businesses out on the West Coast, and that's been great. And that, you know, that obviously reflects the fact that digital markets, as we've been hearing from the commissioner as well, is an increasingly important part of the, the sort of portfolio of our work. Uh, we see that across merge control, across antitrust enforcement, but also in the UK, we have a new regime which is just in the process of going through the final stages of uh, review by the UK Parliament, but we're expecting that to come into force uh, later this year. And that will give the CMA some important new powers in relation to digital markets with many similarities to, to the regime uh, that Commissioner Versteiger was just explaining in relation to the EU. So you know, it's really, really important that we are kind of out here explaining the work that we do and that we can engage with a whole host of different stakeholders. And 
fantastic to attend today's event as well. Oh, we're so glad you're here. Thank you. Um, so when I was at DOJ, I got a lot of questions around politics. Um, you know, how much does the White House interfere in what you're doing? And, how, and so I know there's a lot of swirl around the CMA on politics. So can you answer the question, you know, does politics influence your decision making? I'd be delighted to answer that question. Um, it's a very short answer and the answer is no. Uh, so, uh, so the way that the CMA is set up, we're an independent agency. Uh, so particularly when it comes to our merger control decisions, you know, it's very much very clearly set out in UK statute that we take our decisions independent from any political influence. So I think I've said it on previous occasions, but maybe just to reiterate, um, I would strongly advise that businesses and their advisors focus their efforts on engaging with the CMA rather than with the politicians who don't influence our decisions. And on the substance, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I'll Absolutely. give you the facts. That's, that's what we always tell our, our clients. So um, you mentioned the new regime for digital markets yeah. and you're setting that up. And I think we might actually have a little bit of news on that today as well, right? So tell us more about how that came about, unpackage that a little bit more for this Yeah, group. so um, maybe if I just start with giving a little bit of context and then uh, perhaps can kind of go on to a little bit more about our approach, which we've, we've yeah. put out some, uh, some new information on today as well. Yeah. So just, I mean, to go back for a moment, and I think look, a lot of, a lot of what we've just heard um, from Com Commissioner Versteiger is, is very, very similar in context to uh, the developments that we've seen in the UK. So you know, I think it's pretty indisputable that digital transformation has brought huge benefits, mm. phenomenal benefits to, to people, to businesses, to economies across the globe. Um, but we've also seen that with that transformation and with the nature of those digital markets has come the concentration of market power in the hands of a small number of tech firms in, in particular digital markets. And I think we've also seen a reflection and certainly a lot of discussion globally about uh, the challenge of whether sort of the existing competition toolkit is fit for purpose, is really able to tackle those competition concerns and is able to do that in a sufficiently sort of agile way, particularly given the fast moving and dynamic nature of digital markets. Um, so we've seen the developments in the EU, uh, in the UK, actually back in 2018, so a good few years ago, the UK government commissioned a panel of digital experts, in fact, led by Professor Jason Furman from, from the US, to look at what changes were needed to the UK regime. Uh, that panel recommended a number of changes to our existing mergers and antitrust enforcement powers, but also importantly, recommended the introduction of a new pro-competition regime, which is really about, and you know, I say this particularly, I think, to this audience, it's really about harnessing and driving the competitive innovation that can happen in these markets and making sure that that is really supported and unlocked in a way that really benefits people and businesses. So, you know, cycle forward a few years, what we have at the moment is the Digital Markets Competition and Consumers Bill that's currently going through the UK Parliament. Um, you know, I wouldn't ever want to comment on the sort of <laughs> timing of Politics, that because you, right. never, you never quite know, but uh, you know, our current expectation is that that will complete its passage through Parliament in the next few months, and we would hope that that new regime will be in force towards the end of this year. And maybe just to give you a little bit of sense Please. of kind of what, what, yeah. what that does. Um, so it, at a high level, this regime is really all about a, a very targeted and a, a, a focused approach to tackling markets where you see that concentration of market power. So 
the model is that the CMA will have the ability to designate specific firms as having what's called strategic market status. And I think it's really, really important to emphasize that um, you know, we only expect to designate really a handful of firms. This is a very, very targeted regime. So in order to be designated as having strategic market status, um, a company has to have substantial and entrenched market power in relation to one or more digital activities. They have to have a position of strategic significance, and they have to have a turnover of um, globally more than 25 billion pounds, or in the UK, over a billion pounds. So you know, we're looking at the, the, the largest and, and most powerful technology firms having that strategic market status position. And once we have designated a firm as having SMS, we then have really two routes to try to tackle uh, the sort of underlying competition concerns. So the first is what's termed conduct requirements. So this is all about really managing the behavior of those SMS firms, trying to guide that behavior to ensure competitive outcomes. And then the second route is uh, what's referred to as pro-competition interventions. And that's kind of drilling down to get to the root cause of the competition problem and, and opening up competition and opening up markets in that way. So when we think about kind of outcomes that we would hope to achieve through the new regime, you know, we're looking at really making sure that these markets are, are open to effective competition, so perhaps um, preventing anti-competitive tying, bundling, self-preferencing, making sure that competitors can get good access to data. We're looking at increasing competition, so um, making sure, for example, that uh, that uh, users have good access to, to choice screens that, that people can switch between different products and different services, and where necessary, as I say, taking action uh, directly to address any kind of abuse of, of market power, for example, requiring companies to trade on, on fairer terms. So, you know, quite a broad spectrum of interventions that we can make through this new regime. No, it sounds so interesting. And so it sounds like this will be in parallel with the DMA. That fair. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. So, um, I mean, in fact, we've actually just published today uh, a, a paper which, um, if for those of you who are interested, take a look on the CMA's website. But we've set out a sort of overview document which gives some more details about how we're proposing to implement this regime and the, the kind of time frame that we're looking at. So, as I mentioned, we're expecting uh, the legislation to pass through the UK Parliament um, through the course of the next few months. So, this overview document is really um, aimed at both assisting UK parliamentarians to understand how we're going to operate the, the, the regime, but also a whole host of different stakeholders to give a better sense of that. Um, and you know, I can talk you through a little bit maybe what, what's, what's in that. Uh, please, please do, because I think, I think we do have a lot of folks who would really like to know how you're going to engage with the SMS designees once you, you know, establish them, et cetera. That would be very helpful. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, look, I say the starting point, I think, for, for me with this regime is that... Um, Making sure that we've got really dynamic, competitive digital markets, I think, is absolutely critical to drive competitive innovation, to drive investment, productivity growth, and that's true for the UK economy, but I think it's, it's true um, across the globe. Um, and what we've got here is a regime that is, is targeted to achieve that, but we do also recognize that you know, there are substantial powers here, and those are powers that we need to um, exercise in a way that is, is targeted and proportionate and, and evidence-based. And that's very much the sort of philosophy that sits behind the way that we're, we're approaching the, the new regime. So what we've set out in our overview document today is a set of 11 principles which kind of frame how we expect to implement the new regime. And I mean, I went through 
won't run through all of them. There's quite a lot of detail in there, but to give a little flavor of that, you can kind of group them maybe in, in four themes. So the first, as I say, is very much about targeted, proportionate, evidence-based. That is absolutely the sort of central um, framework through which we will approach all of our work with this new regime. Um, it's really about making sure that we're focused on improved market outcomes. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. And to make sure that we choose to prioritize action in areas where we think we can deliver the greatest impact. The second theme is really about how we'll go about doing that. So where possible, we want to achieve those improved outcomes by increasing competition. That's you know, not right. surprising yeah. Yeah. as a competition agency. <laughs> yes. That's the sort of driving factor. Um, but we also recognize that there may be some situations where you've got a situation of, of um, substantial and entrenched market power where more direct intervention is needed um, to act more quickly. So there may be situations where we require uh, action um, that goes beyond simply kind of opening up and increasing competition. But in all of those circumstances, we want to do that in a way that is as future-proofed as possible. Mm -hmm. So for example, trying to make sure that our interventions aren't kind of locking in a particular technology or a particular supply chain and making sure there is enough sort of flexibility in the way that we are um, implementing the new regime. The third, the third sort of element I think is around coherence. Mm -hmm. So in the UK, um, we have uh, what we refer to as our digital regulators cooperation forum. So that's both the competition agency, but also our kind of data privacy agency, our communications agency, and our financial conduct authority. Um, and it's really important that all of those agencies who have um, interest in digital markets, that we're all sort of working in a collaborative way. And equally, obviously, it's really important for the CMA that we're working in a way that's really um, coordinated and collaborative with other antitrust agencies globally. So that's, that's an important driver for us, that coherence, both domestically and internationally. And then the final, uh, the final theme, which you know, I think is particularly important to emphasize with this audience, is about our engagement. You know, this is a regime mm -hmm. which is only going to work if it's built on constructive engagement with the whole host of stakeholders who have an interest in our work, the whole host of stakeholders who are involved in making sure that digital markets are as kind of competitive and dynamic as they possibly can be. So we've set out quite a bit of detail in the overview document about how we intend to go about that engagement. Um, and as I say, this is kind of, this is the, the sort of taster bit of the, the menu. Mm -hmm. um, once, the, once the legislation has actually kind of completed its passage through Parliament, we will be putting out some draft guidance for consultation that will set out a lot more detail about the process and the framework that we'll use for designating companies, how we will approach setting conduct requirements, uh, and there'll be opportunities to input on that, which is obviously really important. Um, and then finally, in terms of kind of time frame, as I say, we're, we're hopeful that the new regime will be up and running towards the end of this year. Um, we'd expect to launch the first couple of um, investigations to establish designations pretty much straight away, right. hoping that we all launch maybe three to four of those investigations in the first year of the new regime. Wow. That's so busy a busy time. Busy time. <laughs> busy no time. kidding. Yeah. And, and I know just to follow up one quick question, a little off script, but in the sense that I know this audience and having met with several folks that were out here, innovation is sort of their yeah. lifeblood, right? Yeah, and absolutely. so this balance between competition and yeah. innovation, yeah. right? That has yeah, to be. It's, it's a really good one, isn't it? Because I have this conversation a lot and sometimes it's sort of put to me that there's like a tension between the two. Yes. And I just don't see that, you know, from my perspective, um, competition, competitive 
open markets, they are absolutely critical to drive that innovation. And you want innovation that fuels um, disruption, that mm -hmm. fuels rivalry, that, that sort of builds on rivalry and creates opportunities. You know, of course you would expect the, the, the biggest companies to continue to innovate, that's fantastic, but you want them to be doing that in an environment where they are subject to competitive pressure and you want uh, these markets to be open so that new disruptive challenges can come in and that's what this regime is all about. This regime is really all about creating an environment for those challenges to come in to make sure that they are not constrained by dependencies mm -hmm. on the major players that they've you know they've got the opportunity to get their foot in the door to really compete in those marketplaces to win business and to bring great new products to market no i think that's helpful for folks to hear from you that, that you understand the tension and and recognize it and speaking of innovations right i know and i'm, I'm watching our yeah. time as well so i don't want to take too much of your time but i know you know we heard the question come uh, from our Cisco uh, client in the room and about AI. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I know AI is on your yeah. mind and on all of our minds and how it's going to impact all of our industries, including the legal industry. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about yeah. how you're thinking about it. Yeah, so I mean, we've put a lot of uh, focus on, particularly around generative AI foundation models over, over the last sort of six, nine months or so. Um, and we recognize, as we've discussed already, this is a hugely uh, exciting area, huge benefits to come. I mean, phenomenally rapidly evolving, but also an area that raises, I think, a number of quite fundamental questions, not just through a competition and consumer right. protection lens, uh, you know, broader societal questions, I think, about safety, security. So we're sort of looking at these issues through a competition consumer lens, but mindful of that broader context too. Um, we, we started an initial review back in May last year, focusing specifically on foundation models, and we kind of looked at three sets of issues. So first of all, we just wanted to get a really, really good understanding of the models, the markets, how the models are developing, how they're being used. Um, secondly, we wanted to kind of look at what are the sort of opportunities and the risks to competition and consumer protection mm -hmm. as a result of that. And then third, I seem to be talking a lot about principles today, we've <laughs> set out some kind of guiding principles um, recognizing that you know there's a huge amount of uncertainty obviously um, because of the rapid fast-moving nature of, of these markets but how can we help as an antitrust agency to shape more positive outcomes and this is a little bit different i think in a way of working for the cma and something that we want to do more of um, in tech markets in in emerging markets which is you know very much i think along the, the theme of our previous discussion not to wait till we've got an entrenched problem and then have to kind of step in and take quite heavy-handed intervention, but to kind of from the get-go really work in a really constructive way across um, the sector with stakeholders to help guide and shape more positive outcomes. Hmm. So we've looked at um, a number of principles, and maybe if I sort of just high-level take Please. you through them. So kind of starting off at the model development level, mm -hmm. sort of two key principles it seems to us. One is access, mm. you know, access to critical inputs. I think we've had, um, I've had the great opportunity this week to speak to many businesses involved in, in AI and I think sort of a universal theme about the importance of access to compute, to data, to, to technical capability. So that's a big theme. Um, the other one for us is around diversity, diversity of models, making sure that as uh, the market evolves, we continue to see, which I think there is at the moment, we continue to see a range of different types of models um, on the market. So th those sort of two themes, access and diversity at the upstream level. And then when we're looking at kind of deployment of models, um, three broad themes, 
One is around choice, mm -hmm. you know, making sure that users have a, a range of different options, whether they want to develop their own, whether they want to have plugins, um, you know, how they're using different models, uh, that they have a choice in terms of those models. Um, flexibility, the ability to move between models. I think, you know, learn the lesson of history. Mm -hmm. For you know, we want to make sure that we avoid those kind of lock-in situations that people, businesses can use multiple different models uh, and can, can flex and move across. Um, and I think, you know, critically avoiding sort of unfair trading. So again, I think learning the lesson of history a little to make sure that we don't end up in situations of anti-competitive tying, bundling, self-preferencing. And then we've got two sort of broad themes that, that sort of sit across. So one is transparency. Uh, bear in mind, we've got kind of consumer protection as well as right. competition concerns. Right. So it seems to us incredibly important that um, both business users and consumers have transparency about, you know, what are the risks and the limitations of these models? Mm -hmm. And then finally, accountability, um, which I think, you know, is, is very important. Again, it's been a theme that's come out in a, a lot of the discussions that we've had so far this week is to sort of ensure that as you look through that supply chain and you think about the model developers and, and the businesses that are then deploying those models, is there clarity around the accountability for how the model is being used and the outputs from those models at, at different stages in the chain? And I think that's probably an area where we're certainly hearing um, probably more work needs to be done in that space. Oh, interesting. So interesting. I think we're all following it with you know great anticipation and and uh, understanding how much it's already changed our lives and, and going to change it even more but these you mentioned the foundation models yeah. um, and the you know when you're thinking about AI partnership and size and we, you mentioned SMS and you know, can you help us understand you know you, you I, I think that would help all of us to understand given computing that's yeah. necessary you know there there is a scale issue with AI right and so how is that going to play out? Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. So um, I mentioned that we, we kicked off this review last May. We put a report out uh, back in September, which set out these principles and, and covers a number of different aspects, including um, thinking about partnerships and investments in this space. And this is an area that we're looking at further at the moment. So look, I think the first thing to say is we do recognize, and this is really important, that um, it's, it's very common in tech markets to have partnerships and investments, and indeed, that's a really positive feature of the market. And it's really important, I think, for a number of smaller businesses to have the opportunity to partner up, to be able to scale up, to grow and compete, to, to create the innovation that, that we've just discussed is so important. Um, so I think, you know, I think that, is, that is a really important point to, to, to note at the start. That said, you know, we also want to make sure that those partnerships, those investments don't lead to anti-competitive outcomes. So if we think about um, the kind of framing that we had of the principles, you know, if we go back to the first one I mentioned around access, mm -hmm. you know, that's going to be really important for us to make sure that where you see investments, where you see partnerships, that isn't closing off access to any of those sort of critical inputs at the outset. And then perhaps when you're thinking about, um, you know, some of, the, some of the major companies who are involved in this space, who already have significant established positions in some of these digital markets, right. we want to make sure that um, even if there are kind of potential legitimate um, reasons for the partnership investments, and there may well be some beneficial efficiencies from them, that the consequence of those partnerships doesn't result in you know, an extension of the, those market positions, doesn't end up excluding others from uh, the ability to compete effectively downstream adjacent markets. So, you know, then we're looking at themes around 
um, the kind of fair dealing point that I mentioned earlier around bundling and tying. We're thinking about making sure that the models are developing in a way that still creates the, the sort of choice and flexibility that I talked about in some of those principles. So you're, we're, we're sort of, you know, it's early days. We're having a lot of conversations this week. We've, I've sort of taken the opportunity, which is, which is fantastic, to have the week uh, in the West Coast and having a lot of these conversations because you know, we need to understand and hear from the businesses who are involved themselves. That's the best way for us as an agency to learn. And then hopefully we can kind of share back our reflections and our thinking. Uh, and this is something that we see as very much a journey for us to go on with the, with the sector together. Um, but I think a lot of uh, the principles that we've, we've set out apply to that partnerships and investment piece as well. Has anything surprised you about what you've learned and, and, and the principles you've set out? I mean, I think it's been reassuring to us that um, the, the sort of general framing of the principle seems to be in the right, in the right place. Sure. I think it's been really interesting to hear about the different ways that the, the models are kind of developing and being used and, you know, the extent we're, we're learning a lot about um, the extent to which models may be used on that sort of general purpose application, the extent to which they may be used and developed in more kind of verticals and, and sort of jump-starting some um, great innovations in that space. And just thinking about the kind of the, the multiplicity of innovation that's happening at the moment and then how you get a kind of regulatory landscape around that that doesn't stifle innovation, because that's key, um, but at the same time puts those sort of guardrails in place. So I found it... I found it um, enlightening for my own information, but also probably reassuring that actually, I think we're in pretty much the right ballpark in the way that we're looking at things. That's good to hear. Having uh, spent some time in San Francisco, I took my first Waymo. So I do have a video right. of me sitting in a driverless. Yeah, <laughs> Uber, yeah I tried that one, yeah. Quite an experience, <laughs> it was quite an experience. Well, thank you so much. We are so um, pleased that you were able to sit down with us and have a chat. I, I don't know that we, do we have time for questions? Are you okay with questions? Is sure. that okay? All right. Yeah. Have any questions from the room? There's a lot of information. <laughs> <laughs> Let's check over here. Yeah. I'm going to be really cheeky and ask a second question if no one else wanted to. <laughs> so you refer to the Furman Review. It recommends retaining the consumer welfare standard, and it recommends a hybrid between appeal and judicial review. But the bill before Parliament does not contain those safeguards. Is there a risk that that's a negative message to foreign investors? There's a, there's a lot in that question. I mean, maybe take the point on appeals first. So actually, I think the firm review was quite clear about the importance of um, the balance in appeals where you for sure need to have effective protection of parties' rights of defense, but you also need an appeals mechanism which is sufficiently agile that means that um, agencies are able to tackle issues in a way that keeps up with the pace of these markets. So I think um, what the bill recommends now in terms of the appeals mechanism is actually very, very consistent with the recommendations from the firm review. And perhaps for those less familiar with um, the intricacies of the appeals mechanism, yes. what we've got um, is essentially that uh, most of the interventions that the CMA will make will be subject to judicial review, which you know is a, is a strong standard for the court to review our decisions. That's the same standard review applies at the moment for our merger decisions. But when it comes to penalties, uh, and we have the ability to impose penalties of up to 10% of turnover, so when it comes to penalties, then the court has uh, what's sort of known as a kind of merits review, so effectively the ability to substitute its own judgment on what the penalty should be. Um, on the consumer welfare standard, look, I'm not sure you'd expect to see um, specification of consumer welfare in, in the legislation, but I think 
uh, the legislation sets out very clearly uh, the objectives of the regime and the objectives of the regime are ultimately for the benefit of consumers. But as we've also discussed, um, you know, it's important that uh, all users, all stakeholders in this regime uh, are able to engage and drive this innovation in, in competitive markets. And I think you know, what I really like about the regime and hopefully what um, stakeholders will like in, in our approach document, our overview document, is that we are really, really focused on outcomes. Um, and that is the driver of all of the work that we'll be doing. That is how we think our interventions should be measured in terms of measures of success. And we will hold ourselves accountable for that. So hopefully in a couple of years' time, we'll be back here talking about okay. um, how, how that's been going. Oh, we <laughs> hope so. We hope so. Any other questions? No? I think that's time oh, for our like next panel. Thank you very much. Oh, oh I, think yeah, yes. I think we had one. Yeah, I think we had one. Yeah, sorry. Hi there. Thank you again for coming to the West Coast and making the trip. I was curious, uh, the Executive Vice President, Commissioner Vestager, talked a little bit about the intersection between the DMA and antitrust enforcement. And I was just wondering, I mean, you talked a little bit at the beginning of your remarks about you know, being fit for purpose, having more tools in the toolbox. Yeah. How are you thinking about that with the DMU coming into existence, and how does that change the relationship or give you more tools? Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great question, Rima. Thank you. Um, so when I talked about one of our principles being coherence, actually, I should have mentioned that one aspect of that is also making sure that when we're implementing the new regime, we do that in a way that's sort of coherent and consistent with our existing toolkit as well, both in terms of uh, antitrust enforcement and consumer protection, because we see the two sitting closely together. Um, you know, my, my expectation is that in relation to uh, designated firms for the digital activities for which they are designated, our focus is likely to be on then utilizing uh, those new powers, because essentially part of the recognition of the need for the new regime was to say, like, the, the existing toolkit is not great for tackling some of the issues that we see in these digital markets. Um, but that doesn't exclude us using antitrust powers still in that space. But I, you know, I, I imagine our focus will be sort of predominantly on, on using the new powers. Of course, we'll continue to use our antitrust powers more broadly in relation to digital markets, because as I said, the regime itself is only focused on the sort of specifics. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, merge control will continue to play a, a big part in, in digital markets as it does more broadly. All right. Thank you. Since time, uh, to the, thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you. Sherry thank for you. Thanks for having discussion, me. Very <laughs> substantial. Okay. And we'll be happy to release this in the next conference if you need your agreement. That's a great discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I walked straight into that one, didn't I? <laughs> thank, you. thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. You listen to an episode of Antitrust Code by Concurrences. If you want to read more about this topic, check the Concurrences website, where you can find all relevant articles. Follow us on Twitter at Competition Loss and join the Concurrences group on LinkedIn to receive updates on our next podcast.